Cool. Let me just go ahead and jump in. Um, the title of the sermon today is Much More Excellent. Much More Excellent. And the text is Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Amen when you get there. Amen if you're struggling. Keep it a buck, y'all. Keep it a buck. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, I'll go ahead and read. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Please pray with me. Father, you are good, gracious, and kind in ways we don't even have words for. And I pray, God, that you would use my, my imperfect speech and my faulty preaching to bring yourself glory and do good for your people. Um, stir, Holy Spirit, the affections of our hearts towards Jesus so that we would fall more in love with the one who loved us. We pray all these things in God, in, in your son's beautiful, powerful, and magnificent name. Amen. Amen. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied unto you in the name of our Lord and King Jesus. Um, allow me to express my gratitude to Pastor Brandon and the leadership here for the invitation to come share this beautiful burden of pre preaching God's word. Um, it is a burden, and it's a beautiful one. It's not to be taken lightly, so please know that I've been praying for you guys as you listen to me speak today. Um, also, I just want to let you know I bring greetings all the way from, from the South Bronx and Restoration Community Church. We're a church plant over there for your Bronx people. Um, I'm born and raised in the Bronx. I, I was born in the South Bronx. My family made an upward move at the tender age of three to Gun Hill Projects. So that says something, right, when an upward move is to the projects. So we went to the projects, and, and when God kind of stirred this desire to, to plant a church and, and kind of affirm the call in our lives to do so, we went back to the South Bronx, and that's basically we planted a church where I was born. So it's a beautiful privilege, and it's a great honor to do so. Um, just let me share a little bit about my church real quick, God's church, the way we steward it. And, you know, every, everybody, every organization, every church has a mission, vision statement. Here's our vision statement. This is what we call our dream. You ready? Our dream is to see the South Bronx saved. That's it. And I say that to say we don't need to be clever about this. We don't have the power to rescue or save anyone. God does. So we exist solely and only to show him off, to point to hope and help in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone, and to live as his people on mission wherever we're at which is why I dig Epiphany Brooklyn's um, vision statement, to, to join Jesus in his mission to redeem this place. It's his work. I, I think it, it, it's an honor and a privilege, and it humbles. It should humble all of us that we are allowed to put hand to plow in any of this. It's a great responsibility, but my deepest desire is to embrace that responsibility and to do it corporately with God's big church. So even though... I'm all the way up in the Bronx, and you guys are in Brooklyn with family. So what I want to do before we get into the text is I want to begin with a little statement I'm fond of sharing with the hopes of kind of better framing what you will be hearing from me today. Um, so what this is, is this is my personal belief statement of what I believe church to be. You ready? I told everyone before, so I'll tell you. It looks like a couple of paragraphs, but it's really like one long run-on sentence. 
I believe that the church is made up of tragically broken yet astoundingly beautiful people that are being brought together to display the great work of the Lord Jesus in the world. I believe that we, the church, you and I, are a picture of the good news that is already here and is still yet to come, good news that is all of grace. I also believe that our faithful response to this, the great gift of grace that is ours in Christ, is to take the good news of the King and the ways of His kingdom out into the world in such a way that it would break through and it would disrupt the everyday same old, same old with the glorious grace of God and His divine goodness. I also believe that it is the collective call of the church to make sure that every man, woman, and child has the opportunity to experience Jesus and his justice. In other words, church is what happens when a big God moves on an individual people, giving them time, talents, and treasures to use in his service for his glory and for the good of society at large. So that's how I land here. That's my posture. That's my heart. And this is where we find ourselves today in this one verse, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 that lies within a greater letter that was written with the intent to encourage Christians, followers of Christ in times of trial, which is to say that if you got something going on, if there's something you're unsure of, if you're seeking clarity or guidance from the Lord, then amen, praise God, this is for you. This is for you. So please um, allow me to read our, our text again. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. So the way that the author of this great letter um, goes about encouraging the followers of Christ, Christians, us, is by pointing to Jesus's absolute supremacy and his sufficiency over everything. So what we see here in this text um, is that the author does this by means of comparing contrast. Now, we are people that are good with comparing, right? We can take things and we can say this is... We don't like to contrast things. Because you can compare stuff, that's cool, but when you can contrast things, you land somewhere. One is better than the other. So not only does the author here compare, but he contrasts this idea. And that what he's contrasting is the old covenant of Moses, the, the covenant of the law, with the new covenant of grace, of which Christ and Christ alone is the mediator. So there's going to be a lot of that talk, so we're going to ping pong back and forth at times, and maybe that'll help kind of frame where we're at. So by means of the author's intent of, of pointing to the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ and Christ alone, I just want to share that that's our hope today. That we're not going to, just the same way we don't have this clever vision statement, we, there ain't nothing clever going on today. You're going to get a whole lot of Jesus over the next couple minutes, and that's basically it. It's just coming out with this New Yorican thing I got going on. So we're going to point to Jesus... Um, and his absolute supremacy and sufficiency over everything. Specifically, we're going to look at how Christ is the mediator of the covenant of God's grace. 
So if you are the taking note types, and, and my church, our, our little church plan is full of note takers, um, this would be the time to write this down. This is the whole point. This is the thesis statement. This is the propositional statement. This is the big idea. You ready? All right, I'm going to repeat this a couple of times during the sermon too because I want it to sit. Here we go. In Christ, we have a better covenant and a better promise because in Christ, we have a better sacrifice. So in Christ, we have a better covenant and a better promise because in Christ, we have a better sacrifice. Again, Jesus is absolutely supreme. That means he is above everything else. There is nothing above him. And he is absolutely sufficient, which means he's enough. He's enough to satisfy and that he and he alone ultimately perfects everything. In other words, Jesus lacks nothing. We, we don't need to add anything on to Christ for him to be king. He is king and he's good and he's beautiful just as is. Amen? Yes, yeah, say amen. It'll help. And knowing that Jesus is absolutely beautiful and sufficient and supreme, knowing this helps us, his church, gain a greater understanding of how the new covenant of God's grace not only guides us, but also helps us to better appreciate all, not just some, of God's great, all-encompassing, redeeming love. So the way that we get to experience and kind of understand and be led by God's love is through the mediation of Jesus because he is supreme and sufficient. I already warned y'all, it's just going to be Jesus all day. Amen. That, y'all, everybody should amen that if you're following. Thank you. You see, this is what happens. All right, cool. God the Father moves on us. And since I'm from New York, I love that language of being moved on. Like I tell people all the time, New York is a move or get moved on place, right? If you work in Manhattan, you know exactly what that is. <laughs> Around rush, rush hour, when tourists are in the street, tell me you don't give them a holy elbow to get out your way so you can get on the train. <laughs> That's New York. So God the Father moves on us and via the agency of the Holy Spirit, moves in us because of the Son's accomplished crosswork. So because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, we're being moved on. And the way that we are being moved on is because the Holy Spirit is revealing it to us. In other words, when we get moved on, we get moved on by the full force of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So what I want to do right now real quick is I'm going to give you my little bootleg definition of worship. You ready? It's kind of hood. Just deal with it. So... I view worship as sitting inside of a big, black, hefty bag. Figure it's garbage. You get the picture. And I'm in it. It's hot, hard to breathe. I can't see anything. But every time I worship, which is every time I say the name Jesus, I poke a hole in the bag. When I poke a hole in the bag, the light comes in. So there's some allegory of the cave joint going on if you ever read The Republic. I'm sorry. I used to read a lot. I'm pre-crack ever New York. We were all corner store philosophers back at one point. It changed a little bit, but. So I poke a hole. So every time I worship, I poke a hole in the bag and light comes in. And what happens when the light comes in? I not only start to become aware of what's outside around me, but I start to see myself. So when I start to see myself, I will naturally not like what I see. 
I'm going to have a problem with it. So because I'm from the projects and I'm Puerto Rican, I get duct tape. And I start to cover up the holes because duct tape fixes almost everything. <laughs> you learn that real quick. And does it work? It stops the light from coming in, but the light's already inside me. So even if I try to cover it up, I can't help but worship. It's too late. It, God ruined it for me. I already know what it is. I already know what it looks like. So that's what I mean by God moves on us. The full force of who God is moves on the whole us. Every, even the ones that try to hide. And he shines a light on it and we become uniquely aware of it and things will never be the same again. Praise God. So in Christ, we have a better covenant and a better promise because in Christ, we have a better sacrifice. So this is probably another run-on sentence, but here we go. Because Jesus is the Son of God who becomes the Son of Man, which means that he relates with our struggles and he relates with our pain, um, we have to recognize that, that he, he is still, as the Son of Man, still the Son of God. That part hasn't changed. So that means he doesn't just stop at our struggles and he doesn't just relate with our pain. He actually steps in, changes, and alters our entire life. Because the Son of God, who becomes the Son of Man, is the only one who can become our high priest. And we'll get to that in a second. He is the only one qualified to mediate on our behalf. Now, this word mediate, you look up the definition, dictionary definition, not even a theological definition, means intervene between to bring about reconciliation. Now, that means that Christ is the only one qualified to intervene between us and God. He is the only one qualified to bring about reconciliation. In Christ, we have a better covenant and a better promise because in Christ, we have a better sacrifice. Now, for all of this to make sense, we probably got to step back a little bit and, and, and go to Hebrews chapter 7. So if you could, just go to Hebrews chapter 7 real quick. And in Hebrews chapter 7, we come across this mysterious figure with a dope name, Melchizedek. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, um, and then I'll read verse 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And then you keep reading and then you get down to verse 7. And this, this blew me away when I read it this week. Verse 7 of, of Hebrews chapter 7 says this. 7-7 seven, seven says, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. This cat, Melchizedek, just shows up. Abraham doesn't know him from a hole in the wall, yet he gives him a tenth of everything he has because he, he knew in his soul 
that this dude was superior. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by superior. So if Abraham freely offered a tenth of everything he had to someone who was but a shadow of a true priest to come, the question for us has to be asked, what are we freely offering to Jesus? Because if you go to this definition again and this little reading, look, look at who this Melchizedek is. He's a king of righteousness. Is there anyone more righteous than Jesus? No. To the point where to understand Jesus' righteousness, we got to kind of go back to the beginning of the story. And my brother, you know, he, he read from Genesis, so that's where we're going. We're going back to Genesis right now. So in the garden, God places his beautiful creation in the middle of perfection and beauty. Tells them they can have dominion over everything except this one thing. What do they do? Naturally, they disobey. So when that happens, they become fully aware of their state. And what do they see? That they're naked. So they go and hide. And God, being a good father, because he walks in the cool of the day. Isn't that crazy? God walks in the cool of the morning. Like this was the reality. Pre-fall. That is... It is. It, sometimes I just be like, yo, do we lose awe and wonder of Scripture and language? Like, do we use our biblical imagination? Do you see yourself in the garden, God walking in the cool of the morning, calling your name? So he does that, and we act like God don't know what's going on, but God, because he's a good dad, he goes, Adam, where are you? What does Adam do? Oh, I'm hiding. God is like, you're hiding? Word, why are you hiding? <laughs> like, we act like our sin catches God off guard. Like, we surprise God with our sin. Oh, we're naked. Word, who told you you were naked? <laughs> and then they play the blame game, right? They pass it off to each other. I was the woman. I was the serpent. Nobody wants to say, my bad, God. I, I disobeyed you. You told me not to, but I did. I'm sorry. Nobody ever wants to do that. So what does God do? Well, he pronounces a couple of curses. He preaches the first gospel proclamation sermon ever in Genesis 3.15, the proto-angelion, right? You know, the whole serpent woman, seed of the woman thing. Then he goes and does something that's, that needs to be explored if all of this makes sense. He goes ahead and kills something to make clothing for them. So... Because they tried to make clothing for themselves. They tried to sew it up leaves, and that ain't work, right? Because you can't pluck something off of a living thing. It's going to wither and die soon. So they're just naked again. So God has to literally kill something to make clothing for them. Now let that one sit on you. God made them clothes? Word? He clothed them? He hand-knit something for them? So he does that. And what happens? All right, so he covers them. So what happens when he covers them? He, what he's doing, he's, he's dealing with their shame. Because they feel shame because the consequence of sin is usually shame. And they were naked before God. So he clothed them. So then he's, he goes to this fancy way, and then his son ultimately, Scripture would tell us that we're clothed with what? With the righteousness of Christ. Which, now you start to see this dude was just a shadow of the true peace that was to come. So when we sin, and I say when because we will sin, right? Because it happens. When we sin, God, when he looks at us, he doesn't see 
our sin or our shame. He sees his son. Like, if, any, if nothing else, please remember that. If you don't remember anything I say, remember that. Because that's the most beautiful truth about you. That you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin and shame. He sees his son. That's why we get to call ourselves the beloved. That's why we're Jesus' bride. It's just a beautiful gift. So this is the king of righteousness. He's also the king of Salem. That is the king of peace. Jesus is the one that makes peace peaceful for us. When he visited Jerusalem, right before he goes in, Jesus cries right over the city. And then he says what? If only you knew that peace had visited you today. And our logo for our church literally says seek the peace because that was the whole point. Was like, yo, we can fight a cause, we can do all that stuff, but if we ain't made right with God, we're never going to experience peace. So the peace that we seek is the, the, the peace that only Christ can give. And, and what that means is born-again people don't do the same dead things. So if we want to see peace and we want to see justice done, we got to recognize that we were made right with God and now we're able to do justice. Because contrary to popular belief, those things are not separate. I don't even know why this is an argument today. I don't. It don't make no sense. The gospel is the most just thing ever. It changes everything about us, touches all parts of our lives. I don't even know why people got to get all bent out of shape when you cry for justice. It pisses me off, but they ain't asked me to talk about that, so I'm going to keep going. So if Abraham freely offered a tenth of everything, oh, wait, it gets even better. You can't skip over this stuff. All right, righteousness, king of peace, then this part. He is without father or mother or genealogy, neither having beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues to be a priest forever. Word, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So if Abraham offered freely a tenth of everything he had to someone who was but a shadow of a true priest to come, the question has to be, what are we freely offering to Jesus? And we should be offering him everything because... In Christ, we have a better covenant and a better promise because in Christ, we have a better sacrifice. It's going to be mad repetitious. Just rock with me. Jesus gives us all, and we need to offer him all. You shouldn't want to do it. You should acknowledge your need to do it. It's a difference of posture. It changes everything. One is based on what you want. The other one is pure necessity. One, the latter, acknowledges that we are all morally frail unable to summon up the strength to save ourselves, and we need Christ. We should do this freely because in Christ, right, we have a better covenant. What does that mean? Well, a covenant is an agreement which brings about a, a relationship of commitment between God and his people. So the way covenants were dealt with back in the days, is specifically, let's just stay in this realm of Abraham to have it make sense, was that God made certain promises to Abraham. And the way that he would seal the deal would be by sacrificing animals. Um, but in this particular case, when he was dealing with Abraham, the way that God dealt with it was that, so I don't know if you know the story, but God, they, they would have to like split an animal in half, put it on the side. That means the middle is full of blood and, and both parties would have to walk through the blood. This is dope language, right? You can't make this stuff up. Whole sea got parted. Look how beautifully complete scripture is. 
they would have to do that, except in this case, God made Abraham take a little nap, and God alone passes through the animals, indicating that he is binding himself by a solemn oath to fulfill the covenant. He was like, you, you ain't capable, able, you ain't qualified to walk through this because you can't keep it. So I'm going to make you go to sleep, and I'm the one that's walking through it. The new covenant, the covenant of grace, was sealed, signed, and delivered by the shed blood of Christ upon the cross. Because at the heart of this covenant is God's promise of redemption. This is why man couldn't, we, we just can't walk through that. God has to be the one to do it. We can't really redeem nothing. We can't. We can redeem bottles. If you do that, you know what I mean? Ain't nothing wrong with it, but I'm just saying you could do that. It is a thing, especially on my block. On recycling days, it's real. People be fighting over our bottles. One should never think that because we have been given a new covenant, and this covenant is built on grace, this covenant that comes to us by the shed blood of Christ upon the cross, um, one should never think that because we're given that covenant, and it being a better covenant, that the first one was bad or wrong. They both come from God. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. There's glory to both. And God gives glory to both, and he gets glory from both. And we need to know that we don't do away with one for the other. That's, danger. That's a danger to today's church. So you know how it is? Everything got to be like either or. Yeah, it, it, that's the way people function. But if, 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 if all you got about Christ is this hippie, meek and mild Galilean, that's all love and full of grace, even though those things are true, you, you, you skip over the part where he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Not an iota is to be removed. You can't do away with one for the other. Why? Because not only in Christ do we have a better covenant, but we also have a, a, a better promise, which is to say this old covenant, this dealt with like earthly promises, and this new covenant has heavenly promises laced into it. Um, one is rooted in, in the right now existence of our lives, and the other is rooted firmly in the forever reality of our position and our posture before a God praising and singing forever. Right? That's what it says. Every nation, tribe, and tongue, all flossing their own little cultural expression of who they are before a God for future eternity. The old covenant is based on law. The new one is based on God's grace. The old one is written in books, and the new one is written in our hearts. That's Jeremiah 31. Isn't that beautiful? He makes clothes for us. He writes his law on our hearts. He covers our sin and shame. Like, what else can he do for us? He, he passes through the stuff. He signs, seals, delivers all the covenant. What else does he have to do for us, for us to respond to him? I don't know. Better covenant, better promise, also a better sacrifice. Um, all right, so real quick, school, you got kids, you're a teacher, you know this. Um, kids were off for Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, Jewish holiday, one day a year where the priest goes in, offers a sacrifice, buys the people a year's time. So they got to come back next year and do it all over again. So with Christ, better sacrifice, what we're saying is a once and for all sacrifice. It is done. It is finished. Nobody needs to go in on our behalf because he did it. He passed through the blood for us. It ain't got to be done again. 
Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, offered himself as the true and final sacrifice for all sin. The new covenant brings with it freedom from the law of Moses, but it does not give us freedom to disobey God and, and sin. Because that's what happens if we disobey. We sin. Every time you're not obedient to what God says, you sin. You don't, like, halfway disobey. There is none of that. Right? There's no, there's no halfway with this. You ain't half saved. You're not. You're fully saved. Once and for all. So the moment you think of disobeying, God accepts his son's sacrifice, and then we are able to obey out of love. Now we're not just compelled to do this, but we do it out of love. This is, this is that thing we call con- conviction. You know, you know that feeling when you're unable to sit still in your skin? It's the Holy Spirit messing around. And you probably know you do, you're going to do it like, before you do it. Because you think about it. like, oh, oh, But what do you do? You find a way to justify the reason to do whatever you do, right? This is why we're, we, we should never be allowed to judge ourselves. I'm going to be innocent all the time. I'm going to find a reason why I shouldn't be guilty. It's called survival. We all got that instinct wired in. That's why we don't judge ourselves. But he was a better sacrifice. He even covers that. That moment where you're willingly disobeying God and making up reasons to sin, even that's covered by that once and for all sacrifice. So Jesus, again, is the Son of God who becomes the Son of Man, which means that he relates with our struggles and he relates with our pain. But since the Son of Man is still the Son of God, he just doesn't stop at our struggles and he doesn't just relate to our pain. Instead, he steps in, he changes and alters the entire course of our lives because the Son of God who becomes the Son of Man is the only one who is qualified to be our high priest. He is the only one qualified to mediate on our behalf. Um, and just to close, and I'm, I'm wrapping up, this old and new covenant are a, mo- a lot more alike than we'd like to think. We, we try to separate them as they're these two opposite ends, but they're not. Um, the old came at a time in Israel, when Israel's future was in question. They, they, had a, a, they, they were under poor kings, and they weren't doing well. You can receive that as you want. Things were not well in the nation. Destruction and ruin were expected. Then God gives his promise of restoration and blessing, the old covenant of the law. Now, some of us may feel as if our future is in question. Some of us may feel that things are not well with our soul. Uh, We probably expect to be destroyed. We may even think that we deserve to be destroyed. But God is giving us his promise of restoration and blessing. This promise is wrapped in the outstretched arms of his son, our king, our Messiah, Jesus. So Romans chapter 10, towards the end, Paul, there's this beautiful line that says, God waits with outstretched hands all day long for the disobedient and defiant. So just picture that. The outstretched arms of his son never closing up on you, always welcoming you in. It's a beautiful picture. The new covenant which was sealed in Christ's blood does not reduce the law's demand, but imparts the desire and the dynamic to fulfill them. The new covenant which is sealed in Christ's blood does not reduce the law's demand. Instead, it enables, equips, it gives us some shot at trying to live up for the standard. 
We do so imperfectly, by the way. You will not do it. You won't. But Christ's once and for all sacrifice even covers your attempt. It's a beautiful truth. Jesus does not take away the need for right living. Instead, he and he alone provides a way for us to live right. He enables us to live as God's redeemed people, both gathered and scattered. That's what the church is. We gather to worship and praise together, and then we go out into the world. In other words, you don't get saved to sit. You get saved to be sent. Word. (laughs) So let me read this one more time, this whole thing that I said. This is what I think the church is, and then the worship team is going to come up, and it's a wrap. I believe that the church is made up of tragically broken yet astoundingly beautiful people that are being brought together to display the great work of the Lord Jesus in the world. I believe that we, you and I, the church, are a picture of the good news that is already here and is still yet to come. Good news that is all of grace. I also believe that our faithful response to this, this being the great gift of grace that is ours in Christ, is to take the good news of the king and the ways of his kingdom, which is a very long-winded way of saying you can't accept the king without accepting the king's ways. The good news of the king and the ways of his kingdom out into the world in such a way that it would break through and disrupt um, the everyday same old, same old with the glorious grace of God and his divine goodness. Um, I also believe that it is that it is the collective call of the church to make sure that every man, woman, and child has the opportunity to experience Jesus and his justice. Still don't know why people got a problem with that word justice. In other words, church is what happens when a big God moves on our individual people, giving them time, talents, and treasures to use in his service for his glory and for the good of society at large. So all that said, Here's the challenge for y'all. This because every time God's word is preached and we come together, to, there has to be a response. How are you going to respond to this? How are you going to live as God sent people in your community? How are people going to see that Christ is just far better? He's a better priest, better promise, better sacrifice, better king, better Lord, better everything. Just better. How are they going to see that if you don't show it? Now, listen, I get it. People are annoying. That's cool. (laughs) See, somebody's ready to come up to the altar. I get it. But here's the thing. When you become aware of God's grace that has been extended to you, and you become aware that that same grace is available to others, they become less annoying. So now instead of them bothering you, you start to sit there and listen and go, okay, so what's the story? What's going on? Where's the hurt? Where's the hopelessness? Because if you get, if you get to sit, right, and just chill for a minute, if you sit and you listen to their story, you can point them to God's grace inside of his bigger story. Because we can't save nobody but we can point them to the one who can. So how are you going to do that? How is that going to get done? And then do it. Please don't lose awe and wonder of the gospel. Don't get complacent spiritually. Don't become spiritually lazy. That's dangerous. Don't. Live as his people sent. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for 
the gift of your, your, your kindness, your goodness, and your grace, God. And I pray, um, asking you to make us fully aware of your power to do and to secure all those things that we cannot for ourselves. Father, use us as a, as a people, Lord, to, to point to hope and help in your son. Use us as a people to, to be kind to one another. Father, I pray specifically that as we travel about in this great city, that we will be kind to one another. God, I pray that we would um, accept the challenge, God, to, to read a whole book of your Bible in a week, in a day, in a night. We do that watching Netflix, Lord. We spend our time on almost everything. I pray that we would this week just accept the challenge to read all of Hebrews in one sitting. Um, and, and we pray, God, that you would use that in such a way that, that man, you, you would use us um, for your glory and the good of your people. I thank you for this church, for this people. And I just pray that you continue to bless us. In your son's beautiful and powerful, magnificent name we pray. Amen.